I'll throw out the golden rule. Jesus said that you want to do to others as you would have them do to you. And so I think that's a great words to live by. You know, we try to treat people right, try to do right by them, be kind, be honest. Those are kind of things that we expect out of our employees and partners. So I think that's a great way to live. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to ask you, do you have a strategy right now where you are getting leads that come into your inbox while you're sleeping? Do you have a strategy where you are optimized with both Google AdWords and SEO, search engine optimization? If not, then guess what? Today's your lucky day. We've got a free strategy session just for you, and it's with Dan Barrett. If you recognize his name, he was a guest on episode 565, and he is the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy and get a free strategy session to learn with him how to implement an online strategy for your market in both SEO and Google AdWords. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out all the fluff and this is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. With us today, we've got a couple investors who have gone from buying single family homes to working on a little bit of self-storage stuff going to a 14-unit apartment building and then going much larger and buying a 213-unit apartment building or community, rather. They're based in Lubbock, Texas, home of the Red Raiders, where I went to school, Lubbock, Texas. And they're the owners of Disruptive Properties. How you doing, Jonathan Towell and Gary Evans? Hey, Joe. Doing great. Doing great. Well, that's great to hear. You two have been at it. Like I mentioned, you partnered in 2015 and went from $0 to now $10 million in assets under control. Best ever listeners, you can learn more about them at disruptiveproperties.com or you just click through the show notes link here on the show notes page. With that being said, you two want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now. Yeah, sure. So we both come from the IT or software world. That's where we got to know each other. We worked with a web marketing company here in Lubbock that does marketing for Fortune 500 groups. And Gary had been in real estate, had a few single families. I had one and it was a good business. And we just decided that it was a business that we needed to ramp up and grow. I want to skip straight to the 213 unit because you two, you first bought a duplex, then you bought eight houses, then a self-storage facility. Really quick, how big was the self-storage facility? That was a 200 unit, about 16,000 square feet. Okay, 200 unit. Actually, okay, so I want to talk about that too. You went from a duplex to eight homes, then a 200 unit self-storage. How did you know how to run the numbers on self-storage given your background in real estate at the time? We had no idea. <laughs> we just knew that storage seemed to be a good thing that cash flowed. And we were looking for any kind of what we considered good deal. And we saw that pop up and we jumped on it fast and just kind of did our own research and talked to some people and put the numbers together and got it done. Did you bring the equity yourself or did you partner with people? We had one guy who came in and helped us as an equity partner. 
Okay. What are the numbers on the self-storage? So that one, we bought it for 260. We had an equity partner bring in 60,000 or about 65. It was about 25%, whatever that number is. And then we got a bank loan for the rest. So you two didn't have any money in the deal? No, we didn't. We did not. What was the role that you provided? Well, when we bought the property, it was about 30% occupied. And we went in there and fixed the marketing. We got it online. There was no website before. You couldn't find the property. It was invisible from the main street. Paint was chipping off the walls and right. the facility had weeds in it. And Yeah, it was just trashed out. You couldn't pay with a credit card. You had to drop a payment off at the place every month. So just a lot of basic things that just hadn't been done. They hadn't raised rents in 20, 30 years. So we got in there and got all that stuff cleaned up, got a new sign, got going digital marketing, got the website going, did some AdWords, canceled the phone book subscription, those kinds of things. And oh, about six months into the deal, I think we were up to about 70, 80% occupied. And today, I think we have like one unit vacant right now. So it's been a really good deal. How did you pay for everything that you just described? Because the equity partner put in 60K to close on the deal, but who's paying out of pocket for the other stuff? He put in a little bit more so that we could have a little bit of working capital. We also had a line of credit secured by a couple of houses that I believe we pulled from just a, a tiny bit. How much would you say you put into it? So we probably put in about fifteen, twenty thousand, something like that. Okay. Yep. Do twenty K to stabilize it plus some sweat equity, it sounds like. And what is it worth right now? Well, we just got it appraised back in April. We refinanced and that appraisal came back at four ninety. Excellent. Great job. Yeah, thanks. All right. You had a, a lot of success on that deal. What is your ownership compared to the equity partner's ownership in the deal? We actually bought him out. So we own it 100% now. Okay. How did you structure it with the equity partner originally? They own 25 total is what he owned. Yeah, 25% of the deal. And, and, you know, really, we didn't know anything about syndication, anything about these kinds of deals at all. But I think if we had known more of what we know now, we might have structured it a little bit differently back then. But it just happened to work out pretty well. He, I think he came in and, and owned 25% of the business. And then when we bought him out, we got that refinance done and used the cash to buy him out. And I think he doubled his money in about a year. Mm -hmm. Made like 89%, I think. So he had 25% ownership and he put up all the money to close you two had 75% ownership. You bun bought him out once you increased the value. Was that the plan all along to do the buyout? Yeah, that was our plan all along. And we told him we would at least wait, I think, six months to a year before we bought him out. Or after a few years, he would have the option to request to be out. That's how we structured it. We've since learned that investors like to stay in on those deals and just take money as we go along. But that was our first deal like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you bought a 213 unit. How'd you find it? What'd you buy it for? And what are you doing to it? Well, that one we just found on LoopNet. It's a 213 unit apartment here in Lubbock. We bought that one for, let's see, was that 6 million? Yeah. And we How raised much? 6 million. Okay. And we raised <laughs> about 1.75 million in equity. And with that, we had a CapEx budget of about half a million. So our plan for that one was to go in and fix a lot of deferred maintenance 
we wanted to fix the management. There was some management issues. There was way too many concessions, a lot of unpaid rent. So we just wanted to get in there and fix those kinds of management issues while also doing some small upgrades on the property. Well, you bought it for $6 million. You raised $1.75 million in equity. 500000 of that one point seven five was capital expenditure budget. What type of financing did you get on it? We got a CMBS loan with that. So 30-year amortization, 10-year term on a fixed rate. What was the rate? The rate ended up being 5.85 or 5.9, somewhere around there. We had a little bit of a rate increase because Jonathan and I were the only ones that signed like the bad boy carve-outs. It's a non-recourse loan, but it was just Jonathan and I, so that's why the rate was a teeny bit higher. And for best ever listeners, bad boy carve-outs are if you have gross negligence on the property or if you commit a crime, then they can go after you. Otherwise, it's non-recourse. Did I miss any other major things? That's right. You yeah, got that's it, right. it. Yep. Okay. How many investors are in that deal? We have 11 total. 11 total investors, 1.75 million. What type of paperwork or structure do you have with them? Well, that one is a limited partnership. So all the investors came in as limited partners and we got everything registered with the SEC and everything like that. So they signed a subscriber agreement and they're buying units in this partnership. Mm -hmm. And how do you have it structured from a equity split and performance hurdle, that type of stuff? Well, the equity split is a little weird because of the way our debt is structured. But as far as the performance split goes, the limited partners get an 8% preferred return. That's a cash distribution. Anything beyond the 8%, we split 20% goes to the general partner and 80% goes to the limited partner. That post-preferred split goes to return capital. So the 8% preferred is based on non-returned capital. So if we perform well in the beginning years and we exceed that 8%, that's slowly paying down that capital that they've contributed. Mm. Oh, okay. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that wrinkle where the 8% preferred return is always 8%, but that dollar amount would lower as you pay them the 8% and you return their capital, right? That's right. right. Yep. Yeah, cool. I, I hadn't thought about it that way. All right, so you got an 8% preferred return and then you got a 80-20 split. Do you have any performance hurdles included in that? No, we're incentivized to beat that 8% because basically as the GPs, we don't get paid until we hit that. Mm -hmm. Do you have an asset management fee? We also own the property management company that's managing the property. Okay. So we're taking 4%. It's like a 1% for asset management and 3% for property management. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Well, that's certainly market value. Very competitive, that's for sure. All right. So you're doing the property management. Your company is. And what ownership do you have in the property? Well, like we said, that's a little bit tricky because of the way the, the debt is structured. <laughs> According to the debt, we own 80% of the deal, but the way that the incentives work for distributions, the way that that's written into the actual agreement, we're basically getting 20% beyond that 8% preferred. So when we exit, we'll get 20% of distributions beyond the returned capital. Got it. Okay. So you're getting a 20% promote, basically, even though on paper or with how it's structured on the debt standpoint, it looks like it's 80%. But from the payout standpoint, you're basically getting at 20% bonus. 
Exactly. The weird thing about the debt was that the lender just wanted on their side for the equity to be held by the majority holders that were signing those carve-outs. Mm-hmm. So from their perspective, we own like 36% each, I think. Right. Is how that is how that works out. Right. It's not how your compensation structured on the back end. Exactly. Right. 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 What SEC attorney did you use? A guy here in Lubbock. Yeah, Steve Stone. Huh, okay. And so you've got this 213 units. You bought it for 6 million bucks. How long ago was that? That was in December of 2015 when we closed. December of 2015. Hadn't even been a year. It's been, what, eight, nine months since you've closed? That's right. What have you learned? Oh, man. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What haven't we learned? Yeah, it's been a wild ride. This is our first deal to syndicate like this, and so we've learned a lot about fundraising or about raising money. Of course, we've learned a lot about management. You know, when we bought this property, our property management company jumped from just us to six more employees. There's a lot that goes on HR-wise and managing folks and leadership and things like that that we've learned. Learning how to hire people, learning how to let people go. Right, yep. And they've done a great job. I mean, it was funny because, you know, we were managing everything before and we thought we were doing a great job and following all the rules. And then we hired professional managers that came in and said, guys, you get out of our way. Let us just show you how this is done. So that's been good having the right people to really show us the best way to do some of these day-to-day operations. Mm-hmm. What else? Oh, let's see. What else have we learned? Well, we've learned a lot about construction and how to allocate those CapEx funds. We're trying to cure deferred maintenance while also do those CapEx expenditures that increase rents. So where's the balance between fixing things, but also improving things that are going to bring rents, rent raises. Mm-hmm. And of course, marketing has been a big thing. It's one thing to market single family houses. You stick a sign in the yard. It's quite another to market 213 doors when there's a constant revolving door of activity. Folks moving out, coming in. You really got to have the marketing machine moving. There's been a learning curve to that. Obviously, we're still learning as we go. What are you going to do different on your next large multifamily deal? Um, man, I like a lot of the stuff we did on this one. We met some friends that we'd like to use to help raise money, so we'll probably get some help raising money this time. We'll probably do a different debt structure. I don't think we like CMBS very much. It's got its advantages, but I think Fannie will probably be a better route to go. We'll probably use an attorney in Dallas that's done lots and lots of these structures and puts them out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Speed the market, different debt financing. When you look at where you want to be in three years with this property, what's that look like? Well, hopefully all of our investors are just saying, man, when's the next deal, guys? When's the next deal? <laughs> so we're hoping to and not only pay that 8%, but at the end of every year, give them some pretty good distributions of, of the money left over. And yeah, just hopefully we've got more deals coming for them. But this property we want to keep at about uh, 90 to 95% occupancy. Of course, higher is better, but that returns the investors some pretty good money. Mm-hmm. What year was it built? Late 60s, early 70s. Okay. Three different phases. Okay. You've mentioned deferred maintenance a couple times. I imagine you've got a decent amount of deferred maintenance with that age of property. What have been some of the biggest ticket items that you've paid for? The parking lot was a big one. We did a lot of parking lot work. Um, we have a lot of air conditioners and 
furnaces and water heaters and things like that that we've been replacing along the way. We allocated some money for that. The units were actually remodeled about four or five years before we bought it. So they weren't in terrible condition on the inside, but just a lot of deferred maintenance on the outside, parking lots, some signage needing, needing to be lighting. It's a pretty big property and the lighting was pretty bad. So we've been working on that. Anything else? That's the big ones. The parking lot, I know with one of my properties, I got a quote for $120,000 and that's a, like 170 unit. And obviously the layout depends on how your property's laid out. How much was your parking lot? Well, we could have spent three hundred, three hundred fifty thousand on it if we wanted to completely redo it. But I think we ended up spending about close to a hundred, and that was rebuilding about three small lots. And this property is kind of sprawling over about eleven acres. Uh huh. So we completely rebuilt three small lots that were flooding, and then we did a lot of just patching and sealing and repainting. Got it. You're down to 400K and you've used that 400K for those other things that you mentioned. Yeah, we're still spending it, but we're basically just doing a lot of room upgrades, foundation issue that we fixed, the lighting like Gary mentioned. Replace some staircases that were getting old and rusty. and Yeah, some concrete work beyond just asphalt of the parking lots. You could see why a previous owner might not have spent the money on it, but it just needed to be done. Yep, I hear you. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? I'll throw out the golden rule. Jesus said that you want to do to others as you would have them do to you. And so I think that's a great words to live by. You know, we try to treat people right, try to do right by them, be kind, be honest. Those are kind of things that we expect out of our employees and partners. So I think that's a great way to live. Yep. Too ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you're interested in learning more about the Upper West Side of New York City and potentially buying real estate in this coveted Manhattan neighborhood, check out ilovetheupperwestside.com. This website was created and owned by Love Where You Live Realty, who specialize on the Upper West Side. Go to ilovetheupperwestside.com. Best ever book you've read? I'll go with Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, man. I was going to say that, too. <laughs> I'll go with man, Seven Habits. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it? I'll just go back to recently. Professionally, this, raising money and doing this deal has been expanded me incredibly. I mean, learning how to raise money, to talk to people, how to do that sales, while also due diligence and all those things. It's been just a stressful but fulfilling way to grow. How did you meet the 11 investors? Through networking, through church events, and work, and just living in love at knowing these people growing up. Specifically besides church, how many of the 11 are from church, by the way? Um, probably five or six, maybe. Wow. About half or a little bit more than half? Probably a lot more. than Probably all but two are from <laughs> okay. church. Oh, really? All but two are from church? Where'd the other two specifically come from? What job or what part of Lubbock did you come across them? We got one guy who's from Arkansas. It was just a family friend. And then we met one guy at a entrepreneurship event. And he's a great guy. He's one of these guys that made his money, I believe, in trucking. And he kind of looks for investments now for a living. And so we just kind of met him and the deal lined up pretty well with him. What was the most someone invested and what was the least? Most was 400000 The least was 50000 Okay. The person who invested 400000 how do you know them? From church. From <laughs> church. Got it. Okay. 
What's the best deal you've ever done? Best deal, Monterey Self Storage. That's yeah. the best deal to date. That storage that we took from 260 to almost 500. Mm -hmm. 490, yeah. right? Yeah. What's the best ever way you like to give back? Well, we're both very involved with church. You know, church, yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. And I, I won't speak too much for Gary, but he's on the board of a nonprofit that works with homeless folks. So I know he spends a lot of time doing that. We really just try to help and mentor folks as we go through life. What's the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate? <laughs> Before this call, we were talking about some houses that we sure wish we hadn't bought. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say they were a terrible mistake. It's just you kind of look at opportunity cost and these houses aren't going to sink us, but that capital might have been better allocated to other uses. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. What was the mistake? If you could go back and correct one mistake about that purchase, what would you have looked for that would have taken you a different direction? Maybe the neighborhood of these houses and the condition of the houses. We bought them with a lot of deferred maintenance and we bought them in neighborhoods where the tenants turn over often. And so it just seems like when you have high turnover and you have lots of maintenance expenses, your numbers that you originally figured don't work out as well as you thought. I would say that the mistake was probably with those same houses was just at that time we planned all of our maintenance and improvements to come out of cash flow and you can do it that way it's just a stressful way to go because as soon as someone moves out you've got all these expenses to upgrade the place for the next person and if they're cash flowing you can make it work and that's what we're doing we're making it work but it's just a stressful way to do it you constantly having to look at the books and see where you're at and get these things performing where you want them to go what's the best place the best ever listeners can find you well, disruptiveproperties.com is where you'll see about our properties, but I'd, I'd go bigger, to bigger pockets probably. Yeah, yeah, bigger pockets. Cool. Well, Jonathan and Gary, I really enjoyed our conversation. I suspect the best ever listeners did as well, where you talked about two biggest deals you've done the 200 unit self storage, where you bought it for 260K with an equity partner, and the 213 unit deal where you bought it for $6 million, raised $1.75 million from 11 investors, all of which except for two, you know through church and your involvement there, largest investor being 400 k how you structure it with investors on both those deals, and the lessons learned along the way, as well as where you're spending your capital budget. This was a fact-filled conversation with people who are achieving at a very high level. And boy, do I love those conversations. So thanks so much for dropping by, spending some time with myself and the best ever listeners. Hope you have a best ever day and talk to you soon. Thanks, thanks Joe. Joe. It's fun. If you're interested in learning more about the Upper West Side of New York City and potentially buying real estate in this coveted Manhattan neighborhood, check out ilovetheupperwestside.com. This website was created and owned by Love Where You Live Realty, who specialize on the Upper West Side. Go to ilovetheupperwestside.com.